Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. I am so glad you are here today. I hope you're having a great day wherever you're at in the world, however you may be doing. Maybe you're on a plane right now headed to a gig. Maybe you're in the car. Maybe you're on the treadmill. Maybe you're at the gym. Maybe you're cooking dinner. Maybe you're just, uh, the kids are screaming right now and you're like, kids, just shut up. I'm trying to listen to the podcast. Wherever you are, whatever's happening, really do appreciate you hanging out with us and uh, glad you are here today. Hey, uh, before we get into today's episode, uh, one of the questions that we get oftentimes from people is, hey, as a speaker, how much should I charge? It's a great question. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of variables that go into it. So one of the things that we did is we put together a free calculator that you can just answer some questions and it'll spit out a number at you as a ballpark of what you should be charging as a speaker. So if you want to check that out, it's totally free. Uh, it's a lot of fun just to kind of tinker around with, play with, throw the different variables at it and see what number it spits out at you. But you can check that out over at myspeakerfee.com, myspeakerfee.com. Just go uh, check that out. And again, totally free and uh, encourage you to mess around with that. See what you should be charging as a speaker. Maybe you're charging uh, too little. You need to up your fees. Maybe you're just charging way too much. And that's where you can't get booked. So definitely stop by, check out myspeakerfee.com. All right, so today we're talking with my buddy Mike Adamish. And uh, Mike is a guy who's been in the speaking industry for many, many years, has a lot of experience, a lot to share, and has actually had some uh, start and stop points throughout his speaking career. So we talk about how he got started, why he took a little bit of a break, how he got back into it. We also talk about uh, this. Mike has done a lot of speaking in the military industry. That's something we haven't covered a ton in the, the podcast. There's a lot of people that are interested in speaking to the military. There's a lot of opportunity that exists in the military, but sometimes it can feel a bit difficult to understand how do you get into that space? How do you get into that market? So uh, Mike has a lot of experience with that. We talked through how he got into military, how you could get into speaking at military events. We talk about who hires, what topics they hire for. We also talk about this. Mike has been speaking pretty much on the same topic-ish for most of his career. So we talk about how he's had longevity on the same topic and how he's made sure to keep that relevant and engaging for audiences. So a lot of great stuff here. Let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Mike Domish. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Today, we're joined by Mike Domish, who is a, uh, a great speaker and uh, been in the industry for many, many years now. He's got a lot to uh, share with us today. So, Mike, uh, thanks for taking the time to hang out with us. Oh, I'm honored to be with you. Thanks for having me on, Grant. So uh, for people who aren't familiar with you, why don't you give us a snapshot on who you are, what you speak about, and then we'll, we'll dig into how you got into this. All right, excellent. So I'm the founder of the Date Safe Project. And what I do is I travel the world working with universities, military installations, school systems, and corporations and organizations on creating a culture of consent and respect. Date Safe, is this all on the context of dating and relationships? 
It doesn't even have to be dating. It can be, for instance, with all going on in the news nowadays with sexual harassment, we'll talk about a culture of respect and consent in the workplace. So it doesn't have to be dating related, but it does deal with respect of boundaries, sexual intimacy. And yeah, all of our work in regards to Date Safe Project is founded around that. And so you mentioned that you do that in a variety of different industries. What does that kind of make up today? You mean as far as where am I doing most of that work? Right, right, right. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So we started very heavily with when I first, first got started with like middle schools and high schools, just due to the age I was at the time. But then it grew to be very heavy universities. At one time, I was doing about 85% of my work on university campuses between America and Canada, United States of America. And nowadays, we are heavily U.S. military work. We do a lot of work with the U.S. military or, or throughout the world. We work on about four different continents for the military still also doing a lot of work with universities. Interesting. I want to get into the military side. Before we get to that point, let's kind of backtrack. How did you first get into speaking? I first got involved with it accidentally. I had no plan to become a professional speaker. What happened was I was sitting in an audience where I was mandated to go to as a college athlete on a program on sexual assault. And when I was sitting there, I realized for the first time that I could use my own voice to do something about what had happened to my sister a year prior. My sister had been raped. I had struggled with my life because of that. And as far as I don't mean taking my own life, I mean, academically, financially, I just struggled moving forward. And I saw speaking as maybe an outlet for me to make an impact in the world. And I went to that speaker and I said, Hey, I want to do this. And he said, well, I I only live an hour away. So I got a little lucky there because he spoke all over the country. And I showed up one day. And he said, hey, no one ever shows up. I'll give you whatever I got. And we spent the afternoon together and he gave me a packet of information, stats, myths, all this information on sexual assault. And I went back and wrote my first speech on the topic, went to my high school I graduated from to a teacher I knew and said, hey, can I present this to your class? And she's like, sure, Mike, I trust you. And uh, did that. And she said, Mike, why aren't you doing this all over? That was 1990. And then 1990, 91, we started speaking professionally in middle schools, high schools, a little bit on college campuses. So it sounds like you were a bit like right place, right time of not only hearing a speaker that lived close and that resonated was willing to give you the time, but also on a topic that you were passionate about and that you were interested in at that time. Yeah, that part's true. What was not right topic, right time was culturally. So at that time, 1990-91, almost nobody was talking about this topic publicly. Yeah. And I was 20, 21 years old and looked 15 years old. Yeah, That's not good when you're talking on a sensitive topic right. where nobody's allowing people into schools to talk. They're not about to let the kid who looks younger than students in the school right. take that stage. Right. So there was a lot of struggles. So you said first started speaking then in high schools, which again, you've got some of those things stacked against you in terms of it being a really sensitive topic in terms of it being, you know, 25 years ago or so. So how are you beginning to get in with those schools early on? Just knocking on doors. So what I was doing was I was a college student and I was in business and I was in entrepreneurship. So every class I went to, I started to think, how do I apply this? How do I play this sales and marketing to my speaking business? How do I apply this financial area to my speaking business? So I was building my brochures as projects and homework in my classes. Hmm. And then I was going to local schools in the region with, that I could easily drive to. And I was doing mailings and I was doing anything I could to let them know about me. And that's how I did it at the beginning. Just old fashioned, send flyers, send mailers, get the word out, make phone calls. 
Is that what you did as you continued to grow and continue to progress in terms of going into other markets of going to colleges or corporate or military was basically knocking on doors? No, not really. What happened was from 91 to 94, I was doing this in college. And when I started to get to a point of graduating from college, I needed to live off this. And I was engaged and about to get married. And uh, I had to be realistic, look in the mirror and go, I'm not going to survive at this rate. Yeah. And I actually stepped away from it. Now, keep in mind, I had, a year before, I'd gone and gotten a business loan as a college student to start to build this company. Wow. So I had a business loan out. I had all this. And I'm realizing I'm not going to survive doing this. So I did it on the side from 94 to 2002. I did it very much on the side, very rarely once in a while. And in 2002, somebody invited me to speak at the National Speakers Association to the youth conference that they mm -hmm. hold there at the same time as the main conference. And I went there and some speakers were in attendance when I spoke and said, why aren't you all over the country doing this? Yeah. Shared the story. And they said, hey, the world's changed in the last eight years. They're looking for you right now. They're looking for your message. And two weeks later, sold the business that I owned pretty much on zero profit, enough to get my debt gone. That was it. Yeah. And started this business full time again. Now, right. eight years later, with now with a family of six. Wow. Four kids, married. And we almost went bankrupt that first year, but we believed in what we were doing, just kept plugging along. So the big shift that happened was at the National Speakers Association, I met several speakers and Mike Karpovich, I called him. He was a big education speaker and still is in the education world. And I called him. And Mike back then, keep in mind, this is, you know, we're talking 2002. So billing on phones was different. The rule was you can call me anytime after five. Uh, that way you didn't bother somebody in their business hours and yeah. you don't call me collect. So I call him and I, and he talks to me for an hour and I listen to everything he says and I'm writing all the things down. And he taught me an incredible lesson. He said this, he said, look, a lot of people out there are chasing the individual client to get them to book them to speak. Imagine you're going into a pet store. And when you go into that pet store, you're looking at getting a bunny and you walk into the bunny section and there's tons of little quick bunnies. And they're, they're all fun and they look adorable. Which one do you get? But over in the corner, there's a big, fat, pregnant one. And it could give you 10 all at once. You need to go where the pregnant bunnies are. It's a lot easier to build a business with pregnant bunnies than trying to chase the individual fast ones around. And so what he said was, that place is called conferences. Huh. It's where all your buyers are in the audience together on the topic that they care about and you care about. You need to get your mission and your message in front of them. And I went to every conference imaginable for the first couple of years. And I found which ones didn't work. And I tracked all the numbers. And I was very assertive in making sure that every conference I was at, I was getting everybody's contact information. I was getting people in my breakout session because I couldn't get paid to be there. I was too new. So I was doing breakout sessions for free. But I made sure that the, the, the thing was to wow everybody in every breakout session and to get them to sign up on a form to get more information. And then I was immediately getting back to them. I mean, immediately within 24 hours, sending them an email saying, thanks for being in my session. And that's where we blew it up. That's where we grew the business. 
is so you mentioned that you were speaking in a lot of conferences. I found the same thing to be true that if you go speak at one school or one company, you're speaking to one individual group, but by speaking at a conference, it's a collection of those, like you mentioned the, the bunny analogy that none of us are going to be able to forget now, uh, <laughs> of just a collection of people gathered there that may also be looking for speakers. So were there any specific types of conferences that you were going to? Because there's such a huge range of, you know, whether it's associations or, you know, industry events or on the school space, education conferences and leadership conferences? What types of conferences were you focused on? Well, you have to go to the conference that fits your, your buyer. Now, the key word in here is when you hear buyer, you, want, you don't want to make the mistake of thinking who has the money, but a lot of people make that mistake. You can go to a conference where they all have the money to bring you in, but they don't care about your topic or what you're solving. Yeah, That's going to be a waste of time. So your buyer means who's so passionate in that audience that they'll do what it takes to bring you in because they believe in the solution you're providing. I've been at conferences where people in the audience have almost no funding, Mm -hmm. but because of how passionate they are, they find the funding. They find a way to get the money because they know that your solution they believe in and what you're sharing is a solution they believe in. So anybody listening right now, you really have to ask yourself what conferences exist that the audience is passionate as I am about my topic. I mean, I have people hiring me who have their doctorate and who wrote their thesis on what I'm talking about. Hmm. So people in the corporate world aren't used to that. I mean, what I mean, corporate speakers, they're not used to that. They're not used to the person, the company who hires them, writing their thesis on the topic you are being brought in to speak about. And academia, that can happen. So you better know what you're talking about. You can't fake it as people like to use that language. So the key is really, and, and that means use Google. Google your topic and put the word conference after it, convention after it, workshop after it, and see everything that comes up. You'll be amazed how many educational events are out there around specific topics. So whenever you were doing that early on, you mentioned that first year, though, that you almost went bankrupt. And it was just a matter of like, you had started this several years before kind of dabbled with it for a few years, it sounds like, and then kind of just for the most part, left it on the back burner. So then you have the opportunity to do it again. And it sounds like it's just like with anything, it's hard to get going. It's not like, you know, you just put up a website and all of a sudden the phone starts ringing. So what kept you going early on? What kept you from quitting in those early, that first year or so? Well, my answer doesn't work for everyone, but it worked for me. Desperation is an awesome motivation. I believe in that. And I know that doesn't work for everyone. So that's why I said that with a little trepidation because it worked for me. And so when my back was against the wall, I believed in what I was doing. I was fortunate that the person I'm married to met me doing this work in college. Yeah. So they understood my vision and my dream and they were completely all in with me on that. That's key too. Because if you've got a partner saying, hey, we can't survive doing this. You need to leave that industry. Well, then you have to make some tough choices. I didn't have that. I had tough choices because creditors were calling. And that led to the point of stress and tears and all of that that existed in our relationship. But we believed in what we were doing. And so what it came down to was, what would we use to survive? And we used used credit card debt. We did whatever we had to do to make that work. Now, that means that when we took off and our business soared, that means we weren't profitable because I had all this debt from all this growth that I created that I had to get out of for years, but it worked for me. It doesn't work for everyone. It worked for me. So I always say to people and they say, oh, this is what I'd want to do with my life. And, you know, but I have no way to afford it. And I go, all right, well, what are you willing to do? Well, I wouldn't be willing to do that. Well, then don't really tell me this this is what you're determined to do for the rest of your life because it sounds like you're not very determined. Yeah. I do push those buttons a little bit when people use language that 
appears to lie to themselves. Yeah. It seems like there's that's definitely the case with a lot of speakers, especially early on, is we've done a few speaking gigs. This is fun. We enjoy this. But to actually make this a full-time living, to make this a full-time career, it's just a lot of work. And there's really, there's like, there's not a lot of ways to like sugarcoat it. It's just a lot of work. Now, certainly, you know, there's, you hear those stories of people who I was at the right place at the right time and I did the right gig and all of a sudden everything blew up. But for most people, it's a slog, it's a grind early on, and it just takes a while to build the momentum where you're consistently getting booked, you're getting referrals, you're getting repeat business. And it just takes a little while to get that going. Yeah. And we were fortunate. Ours took off fast, but because of the debt and all, it took time to get, you know, to get into a clear space. Yeah. When I say fast, it's because I was at so many conferences, we were creating a very fast momentum. And that certainly helped greatly. So we went from zero to 30. And then the next year we were at like 50 to 70. And then we were at 70 to 100 every year since. And so it did go fast, but I was hyper assertive. I mean, like yeah. I said, every conference imaginable, getting every contact information, following up with everyone. I know a lot of people listening will say, oh, I'll go to conferences, but they don't really understand what follow-up means. Yeah, They don't call every lead afterwards. They don't email every lead. They don't provide valuable content to them afterwards. They're not serving them 24-7. I was on listservs just to serve the listserv because I knew if I could serve that listserv, they would remember me and bring me to their corporation, the organization. And like, for instance, nowadays with everything going on in the world, people are like, wow, you, your business must be like this, my overnight sensation with everything going on. You're talking about 27 years of overnight sensation. Right. And I'm not saying I'm an overnight sensation. I actually explain to people that when the topic blows up, and it happens about every so many years. It's cyclical. Yeah. The topics blow up and become at the front of the news and we're talking about them. Your business doesn't actually blow up because of that if you ha already have a good business. Right, right. Here's why. When a topic becomes hot, the people out there that are looking all of a sudden to care about the topic aren't looking to spend money because they don't really care about the topic. If they did, they would have cared about it before it hit the news. Yeah. Yeah. They're the ones looking to say, how do I cover my rear end? So what's the cheapest, easiest option? So if you're, you tell me, well, my business blew up when this happened in the news, it probably tells me you're running on the low end of the price spectrum and the value spectrum, not on the high end, because the high end people, they're steady. They're going to be out there doing what they do regardless of what's happening in the news because the value, hopefully, they're bringing the communities they serve. So it sounds like early on in the career, the bulk of what you were doing was in the university college space. And then at some point you transitioned into military. So how did that transition take place and, and why did you decide to make that shift? Well, they came to us. Yeah, it was a unique situation. So what happened was the military right around 2005, 2006 realized, hey, we need to be more proactive on this topic. So they looked at the college world and said, who's effective in the college world yeah. and will their work transition well to the corporate world because there's such different cultures in many ways. Yep. Age is similar, but different cultures. And we said, absolutely, we'll customize for you. And then they heard about us from the college world. And so then we started doing one installation and then the word got out. And we did another installation and that took time. But within three to four years, we were doing a lot of military because we would make sure that that installation would go to that conference. And I mean, we can't control this. We would ask them, when you go to your conferences, your military conferences, where I wasn't able to get in right away, right, right. can you let them know about our program? And they were. And that's how, until we could get into those conferences, well, we were doing it by word of mouth. And in this topic, word of mouth is everything because of the sensitivity of the topic. Nowadays, we're doing corporations and organizations. 
anytime he's working with a, a corporation or organization, you better believe I'm going to ask, do you belong to an association where you could spread the word about a work? Because we take such a unique approach, the word of mouth is everything. Right. And they get that. They understand that. We were talking a little bit beforehand, before we started recording, that I've, I've done a few things in military, but not many. And, and and thinking back, most of them were, like you said, kind of random things that just kind of fell in your lap. And it seems like that people I've talked with that have done some speaking in the military, seems like that's generally been the case, that it's really, really hard to get into, to figure out who the decision makers are, to, you know, if you wanted to speak at XYZ University, you can kind of figure out exactly who you need to be contacting. And there's a point to actually contact them. Whereas with the military, it just kind of feels like this you know, this massive ball of, I, I just don't even know where to begin and, and where to start. So it sounds like for you, you were able to get into a few, but then once you're in to do everything you could to help the word spread inside of that, that world. Absolutely. And to learn their world, to absolutely learn the world in and out. One of the, one of the competence I loved a few years back, I was on tour. So we do large tours where a region, an entire region of the world of the Navy brings us in to go to all the installations in the region. All right, so we're doing those kind of tours. Yeah. And we're on the tour with somebody from within the military system. And they deal with drugs and alcohol. And I've done so many tours with them that the ones said, hey, you know, Mike, honestly, you could do our program. We would feel comfortable booking you under our contracts because you know our system as well as anybody we could want to know the system. Yeah. And, and to me, that was a huge compliment because that's what I want them to believe that when and to feel this true and know is true that when they bring me in, I know their world and I can call them out on their world. That's what you have to be able to do. You have to know someone's world so well that you can call out BS when it's BS. If you don't know the world enough and you do that and you're wrong, you lose all credibility in an instant and the word gets out. So if you want to get in corporate or you want to get in military, you have to ask yourself, how much time am I going to spend learning military, learning corporate? And I don't mean learning ranks, like learning titles and roles, I'm talking culture. Yeah. How does it work? How do they get things done? What are the problems in your topic area? What is going on in the military that's causing the problems they are today? So how did you go about learning that? Or how would someone go about learning that? Especially when you're on the outside looking in, like if I can just get my foot in the door, then I, it's a lot easier to learn it from the inside. But on the outside looking in, I'm just going, I'm just kind of speculating. So how would you go about doing that? All of my speaking is built around audience discussion. So when I'm in front of a military audience, I'm asking them questions. And well, what's happening when I'm doing that is they're learning their own answers. Like, oh, I didn't even realize I say that. But they're teaching me everything about their culture because of that style. And so the key is that when I'm in front of an audience, I am listening to the tiniest of details. And then by doing that, I'm also inviting them to share with me afterwards. Yeah. So I'm creating relationships with my audience. And my audience is teaching me more than anything I could learn online. By far. Yeah. And so the more I get in front of audiences, the more I'm learning, the more I'm getting the vibe for what they're feeling every day. And that's really important. The more you do something, it's like the first time I did corporate on this topic, I didn't feel good about the presentation at all. The client was thrilled. I didn't feel good. And I realized, well, of course not. I've been doing these others so much and I've learned so much about them that I need to do that with corporate and organizational culture to do the same for them. That's the key. Get in front of them as much as you can to learn as much as you can. So for those who are interested in speaking in the military industry, where would they even go about beginning? And I guess another question along those same lines would be like, what would be some common topics that military bases or like you mentioned, installation, what are they hiring speakers to come in and talk about? 
I love that question. It's probably one of the most common ones I get because when people hear you talking to the military, they want to speak to the military. So like, what topic? Yeah. And then you're not, you're not doing this, Grant, but people do that. What topic? And sure. I'm always like, if you need to ask me, you're not, you don't belong in the military because you haven't learned the culture. Yeah. So what I always tell people is what is your topic? Odds are it's got a place in the U.S. military training Yeah. somewhere. So the question is, who on the military base is responsible for that topic? And that's what you need to find out. Once you find it out, that person's probably on every base. There might be a person in every unit that's responsible for that. So actually, where people have the, the idea that one college is, I know the title and I know who to get to, exactly the same on military installations, except one difference. Military installations are constantly moving and rotating every two years. So the word gets out even faster okay. when you build relationships. You can actually get through to people quicker. So for instance, in my line of work, I deal with sexual assault, sexual violence. They have what's called the sexual assault response coordinator on every installation. Hmm. And so we want to work with the SARC at every installation or in the army, it's called SHARP. We want to work with the SHARP program and the Navy, it's called SAPR. You got to know the words, yeah. but Actually, I know exactly who I'm trying to talk to and who cares most, should care most about the topic on that base professionally. Gotcha. So from there, is it just a matter of if you knew who the contact was, I'm curious, like the context of whenever they hire you, is this just kind of a, you know, we need a, an annual training on this topic. So let's just go find someone. Or is this more like a, a set time of year that they're hiring speakers for, for different topics? How would that work? Whether you're speaking on something like sexual assault prevention or speaking on leadership or time management or whatever the thing may be, like what are the, the context of what they're bringing of, of when and how they're, they're hiring speakers? Yes, yes, and yes. So <laughs> they do hire for certain times of the year. For instance, April, Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Okay. It's amazing how many people in the military are trying to book speakers just for April. But that's good to know. Yeah. Because if you're trying to get your foot in the door and you don't have anything on your calendar, you should focus on April because that's when they're most likely to bring you in. Yeah. The difference is that once you become the person they look to as a, to help them provide a solution, they don't have to have April if they're deeply passionate about the topic. The person who's checkboxing, like, oh, we have to show we did something, so we're bringing you in April, Yeah, they're going to look at April. But the person who says, I am deeply passionate about solving this problem year-round, they don't need you April, right? So you want both. You want to be working in April, and you want to be working year-round. The key is finding who is really passionate about the solution so that they can, you can work with them year round, get through to them and get some experience under your belt, get a hold of them and say, Hey, I've been doing this for years. Would love to do it in a way to service our, to serve our military. You, you know, I would be able to give you a wonderful, maybe it's a discount you give them to be able to work with you, to get your feet in the door. And that's really key. Just getting in there and experiencing it. It is a very different audience. It is not like corporate. It is. I've, I've done them all and it's not like corporate. It's not like colleges. It's its own community. How so? Well, you don't normally get heckled by adults in the corporate world. Yeah. You can in the, in the military world. Yeah. There can be an edge sometimes to the audience of, we are forced to be here. So if you're going to make me miserably be here, I'm going to make you miserable. Yeah. Because yeah. I've got the courage to do it. I don't mind saying what's on my mind. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I, I've been trained to take on challenges. And you, speaker, are my challenge today. <laughs> Most people in the corporate world have never been heckled. Right, right. Like you can be heckled by a high school student, a college student, or a military member. Now, let me be very, very clear on this. If I speak to 10,000 military members in a week, maybe 
one would ever heckle me. Sure, sure. You better be ready for the one. <laughs> They're coming strong. <laughs> They're coming strong. And, and so that's a different animal. Half the audience is married. Okay. And on my topic, I talk about sex and intimacy and married people walk in and go, why am I in the room? I'm married. So I have to immediately know that and say, ooh, how am I going to capture the married people within a minute, if not seconds, to go, ooh, I didn't expect today to be about engage me. Yeah. How am I going to take down those barriers? So there's a lot of elements to it that are just different. So for someone who's doing, let's say they're doing a decent amount of speaking and, you know, whether it's corporate or college or association or whatever it may be, and they are intrigued in military, why should they, or maybe why should they be intrigued by military? Why should speakers consider that as a, as a possible uh, industry to be speaking to? Because they're amazing people serving our country. It's one of my greatest honors. And I let that audience know every time in front of them. Yeah. The work with military, people say to me, isn't that your toughest audience? It's, it's the... The number one question I get about the military is, isn't that a tough group? Isn't that, a, especially with your topics, isn't that your toughest audience? Look, if they're my toughest audience, it's because I have failed to learn how to engage them. They're an amazing audience. When you bring great content, great engagement to them, they're appreciative because they're sick of death by PowerPoint. They're sick of being lectured to. So when you come and you engage, they're grateful. Yeah. And they're like, thank you so much. This has been awesome. And, and so you get to travel the world serving people who give six months to a year to two years of their life away from their family and friends to serve us. Yeah. You know, many of us speakers know that we can get on stage and say whatever we want to say. We might, we might not get hired back if we say it, but we have the, we can get, we can say what we want to say. Right. And the reason that's true is because they fight for those freedoms. And so for me, it's incredibly uh, fulfilling work and when you really get to work with the military, they send you all over the world because they're all over the world. They need their people all over the world trained. The places I have been, most people, even corporate-wise, some of the places I've been, you're not going to get there in the corporate world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been to places like Djibouti, right? Right. Which, and people hear that word and laugh, of course, but Djibouti, but uh, never um, gets old. No, never. <laughs> when you get off the plane and you get in that military vehicle right away because you're going nowhere except between that plane and that installation yeah. because different world out there. And they, you don't go off base there for most of the time. I mean, when I most, most years they have it. So you can't, some years you can, but rarely that's a different environment. Yeah. You know, there's no hotel. Right. You're staying in a steel cargo container that's been converted to four rooms hmm. with a shared shower and there's no water, running water. There's big water tanks out in the middle of the 110 degree temperature where you fill a water bottle yeah. to get your water. That's a different, I've spoke the bank in Bahrain in the port where the ships come in and it's 105 degrees outside in a tent and the electricity went out. Wow. Those are just unique experiences, right. but you're sitting there going and they're all here to hear me right now. I got to show up. I got to be here hundred percent. They're interesting challenges, but there's also beautiful moments of wonders of this world I've seen that I would never would have saw without the U.S. military. Right. Well said. I'm curious, too. You have been speaking primarily on the same topic, more or less, for the past 25 plus years of your career. And for most speakers, speaking on the same topic for that long becomes very robotic and boring and tedious and monotonous. And it's just a, it's hard to keep it fresh and interesting because you may go up and kind of a dangerous thing for speakers is, is, you know, your material really well, you know, your material works, you can go up and be on autopilot and kill it. But inside you're kind of bored out of your mind. So what have you done personally to keep the topic interesting and fresh for you versus pivoting to some other topics that I'm sure you could have uh, along the way? 
I was tempted to several years back. I was getting to that place where my soul was like, something's not right. Something's just, I just, it's too much of the same. I need something different. And what happened was it wasn't changing my topic. It was who else can I serve that we're not talking to right now? And at that time, we recognized, this is several years ago, we recognized, why aren't we doing leadership culture change on this topic with the U.S. military? Mm-hmm. So we have this signature keynote we're known for all over the world called Can I Kiss You? Why don't we, though, get into the leadership, talk to 10, 20 of elite-level leadership in the U.S. military about how they can change the culture so that that's happening long-term throughout the U.S. military? And it was once that happened, it wasn't changing the topic. It was changing who else could I reach with this topic in unique, different ways that will provide me with unique challenges. Yeah, It lit me up. And what was interesting was just six months later, I would have never have thought of going to another topic because I was so fired up. Right. And now that's what it is nowadays. It's like, all right, who else can we get to with this? Who over here can we serve? And it's always a new challenge. So if it's military, am I talking to the generals and the admirals Later in the day, after I talked to the 18 year olds, mm-hmm. that was a big shift. And now we do. Yeah. Right. Uh, am I speaking to the Pentagon? And if it's colleges, am I going to talk to the students, but then talk to faculty and staff on sexual harassment? That's really new that we're doing that. So that's exciting. Now, what we've done is for the past five, six years, we've taught people on how we do what we do because people have come up to us and said, wow, with your topic, I would love to learn the skill set that you utilize is just for my topic in the military. We'd love to be better trainers in the military using your skill set. Could you put something together? So for the past five or six years, we started teaching skills trainings. And that is one of the most moving things I get to do because I get to see people in a course of one to three to five days of in-depth workshops shift how they're able to tell their story to the world to make a bigger impact. So it's, it's so moving. It's so incredible that now we are building online communities, teaching people how to do this because we love it so much. Hmm. So it's not changing topics. It's saying, where can we use our skill sets in just as they are, but to another group that we can profoundly impact potentially. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth there that that anytime you get in front of an audience that you spoke to hundreds of times, it's really easy to go on autopilot, but you do the exact same talk in front of a different audience that's kind of a different context or culture than what you're used to. And it really heightens your awareness as a speaker. You can't just coast, you gotta be on your game, and but it makes it more fun, it makes it more challenging and it keeps it interesting for you as a speaker. Well, yeah, and what I loved about it was when I was doing it, I would not do the same material. So when I was being brought into the admirals and leadership, I knew there was a good chance they might have swung in and saw the other program. Gotcha. So I had to come from scratch. It had to be all new material. Now, it could reinforce what I said earlier, but it could not be the same material. So it actually required new material. Now, some people go, wow, all new material. I think sometimes we get in our head a little too much. We forget, well, what are some of the stuff I sidetrack on sometimes? Yeah that I could actually build something off of. So it's not brand new. You've been working it for years, just not for its own program. And suddenly you build this new material off your A stuff you just weren't able to include in your other stuff. Interesting. So you've been at this 25 plus years. There's plenty of speakers who are listening who are on year one, year five, year 10, who are going, I'm just grinding it out. I'm just trying to continue to figure out how to make this work. What would you say to those speakers that you've learned over the past 25 plus years? You always be grinding it out. I think one of the mistakes people make is that they think, oh, when I get 100 clients a year, then I'm going to be able to just take a breath a little bit more often and do all of this. And what they don't realize is, yeah, you got to get 100 the next year. Right, right. 
You always start uh, at zero. Yeah, every year starts at zero. And so every year has a potential to get scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there is a difference in how you work though. And, and that's something to look forward to. That if you're willing to put the hard work in in the early years, it will give you room to work smarter as you go along longer. And that will free you up. It will allow you to be at your best and just use your best skills, not try to do everything, your best skills and let other people do what they do and you'll be fresher, you'll be rejuvenated. If I treated my body and my mind the way I did 17 years ago doing this work at the age I am today, I would not be in a good place spiritually, emotionally, intellectually. I was willing to do that at that time because at that time, my energy levels were at a different place, just age-wise, everything. I'm naturally hyper, but that changes a little bit as you get older. So you have to say, what if I could put in all the intense, crazy work, stay up till three in the morning, four in the morning, just making this work, get it flowing. And then once I get it flowing, now where if I was just going to do one thing, would I spend my time? Mm -hmm. And that's a shift you can make, but you need a foundation to pull that off. What does that look like for you today in terms of working smarter, not harder? Uh, it looks like awesome teammates who do a lot of great work for me. That's what it looks like. And that's really pivotally important. So if you call the date safe project, you'll, you'll never hear me answer the phone because I, I'm not there. Yeah. I'm not in the physical location where the phone is answered. Rita's going to answer the phone. And Rita handles all client relationships. So if I'm doing a tour for the military that's 20 days or 30 days all over the world, Rita wrote that all those, all that 60 pages of work that had to be done for that proposal. Rita did that. Rita's who the client's talking to. If you're a corporation saying we need a new program, Rita does. I don't do any of that. In fact, I won't even speak to the client till a week before the event. Yeah. And if you're saying, do you deny the client? No, 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 no. It's just that Rita does such a great job. They don't feel a need to talk to me. Right, they, right. There's no need. She's so amazing. So that's Rita. And then we have Lisa. Lisa's my director of content and media. So she's organizing every show I'm on, as you would know, actually, Grant, because she's who you talked to until sure. I showed up on this today. So she organizes all my podcast show interviews, my own show interviews. She does all my social media, our website launch, the AHA Center that we're creating, this online experience for other speakers to learn from. Lisa's the one building all the backbone of that. All I do is she sends me an email and says, Mike, I need a 30-minute video on this. And here's some talking points. And I show up in front of a thing and do my thing. Yeah, That's the difference today. I get to show up and do my thing. Yeah, and, and that doesn't mean it doesn't take a lot of work and energy. But what I've learned is that if I really just show up and do my thing, I'll be at my most brilliant possible self. And that will be draining. And that's what I didn't realize when I was younger. Yeah, I didn't realize that putting it all out there is, it, I always used to think it's so exciting that I forgot what it was doing to the body and the brain. Yeah. So now I can know that three big interviews a day is enough. Sure. That's enough. I should now let the brain relax. I should let it rejuvenate so it can be brilliant again tomorrow. Yeah. Well, I think that there's a lot of truth there that figuring out as you as you build your business as you grow as a speaker as an entrepreneur in general is just figuring out what are those things that only you can do. You know, only you could maybe perhaps show up for this interview. Only you could uh, be the one that's in front of the some audience speaking. But you don't necessarily have to be the person that booked the time to make that happen or uh, booked the flight to get there. So there's other people that can be involved in other parts of the business that can uh, that can make it happen for you. Yeah, and the other big piece is to say no. There was a joke amongst my friends and colleagues in the speaking industry who would meet me early on. In fact, really for the first 10 years, and some still argue a little bit today, but really not nearly as much. They called me the implementation king. That if you gave me an idea, it happened within 24 hours. Yeah. 
They're like, you're crazy. Like anytime somebody tells you something and you're just doing it within an hour, you're owning a new website. You're that's right. nuts. And while it served me early, I had to learn that's a little too much because if I was spending all that energy on one thing, instead of trying to do 10, that one could have been way more successful. And what also happens is you disappoint people when you're trying to do all those things because you can't be serving everybody equally. Yeah. And you become a disappointment. Your word is not as reliable that you're going to get that thing done because you're spreading yourself too thin. So now our office, it's more like, do we need and should we absolutely be doing this? If not, it's a no. Nope, that's not a match. Or does this just feel off? Like we've had some pretty what appear to be cool opportunities. And then we're like, it's just something feels wrong here. Something feels wrong. And we say, all right, let's follow our gut. Something feels wrong, then it's wrong. Yeah. And say no. That's okay. It's healthy. Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to share some of this with us, and uh, we appreciate you sharing your your story and journey with us. If if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can we go? Well, we have that brand new community that's designed just for speakers to be able to talk, and it's launching soon. So if they just want to get a vibe for it, I know that Lisa's going to provide you the link directly to the speaker area uh, for that. But it's going to be called the Aha Center. Cool. So the whole idea is that you have an aha. But if they want to find me just immediately, they want to get a hold of me, the Date Safe Project, that is our organization. And they just go to datesafeproject.org. Awesome. Well, Mike, thanks so much for the time, man. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me on, Grant. All right, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mike Domish. A lot of great stuff there. A lot of great insights and info. Always enjoy uh, hearing what Mike has to share. So, hey, again, uh, if you're looking to figure out what your speaking fee should be, make sure you stop by and check out that free calculator I mentioned at the top of the show, myspeakerfee.com. Again, that's myspeakerfee.com. Would love for you to uh, go tinker around with that, see what uh, you should be charging as a speaker. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.